I'm Alan Thorpe. And I'm David Rogers, and together we host The Weather Pod. In each episode, we invite a leading expert to help investigate how public, private and academic sectors can work together to produce weather information of value to business and society. Timely, accurate and focused weather information and related services have enormous value across all areas of human activity. It can increase the efficiency and profitability of business, help save lives and improve safety on land, at sea and in the air, and predict the spread of life-threatening diseases. Now, as climate change increases the frequency and impact of extreme weather events, weather information is crucial to build social and economic resilience. Hello, and welcome to the WeatherPod. Copernicus is the European Union's Earth Observation Programme, which is implemented in partnership with the European Space Agency, the European Organisation for the Exploitation of Meteorological Satellites, the European Centre for Medium-Range Weather Forecasts, EU agencies and Mercator OCM. Vast amounts of global data from satellites and ground-based airborne and seaborne measurement systems provide information to help service providers, public authorities and other international organisations improve European citizens' quality of life and beyond. The information services provided are free and openly accessible to users. One of these services is the Copernicus Climate Change Service, or C3S, which supports society by providing authoritative information about the past, present and future climate in Europe and the rest of the world. The C3S mission is to support adaptation and mitigation policies of the EU by providing consistent and authoritative information about climate change. It offers free and open access to climate data and tools based on the best available science. The service is implemented on behalf of the EU by ECMWF. C3's director is Dr. Carlo Bontempo. Carlo's professional interests include climate projections, monthly to decadal forecasting, climate impacts, regional climate modelling, global climate change and science communication. Prior to joining ECMWF, he was manager of the climate services team at the Met Office's Hadley Centre in the UK. Welcome to the Weather Pod, Carlo. Carlo, it's a particular pleasure for me to welcome you to the Weather Pod, actually, because as you may know, I was Director General of ECMWF when the first, the very first C3S contract with the European Union was agreed. So I'm really looking forward to hearing about the latest developments. Now the service is well established. So welcome, Carlo. Thank you. It's a great pleasure for me to be here with you today. So if we can start, uh, our viewers and listeners, particularly outside of Europe, may not be so familiar with the Copernicus programme. So, Carlo, perhaps you could give us a brief outline of, of its history and its purpose. Yes, certainly. So the Copernicus uh, programme is the Earth Observation Programme of the European Union. So the main purpose is really to look after the satellite mission, designing uh, the mission, launching the satellite, retrieving the data. But the programme can be broadly divided into two parts. The space component that really looks after the satellite platform and the service component. So the idea is that it's not enough to launch a satellite to take the full value out of it, but you want to really extract that information, the added value through thematic services. So Copernicus is structured over six thematic services covering the marine, the land, the security, the emergency, uh, the air quality and climate change. 
the climate change services being the most recent of, of the services to be established. Each service is uh, run on behalf of the Commission, on behalf of the European Union, by entrusted entities. So for instance, the uh, emergency uh, management service is um, run by the Joint Research Center of the European Commission. The marine service is entrusted to uh, Mercator Ocean, and both the atmospheric monitoring service and the climate change service are implemented on behalf of the Commission by the European Center for Medium Range Weather Forecast, OECNWF. So the, 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 the plan of the activities of each service is described in, a, in an agreement with the Commission that runs typically seven years. But on a quarterly and a yearly basis, what is being implemented, what is being described, uh, what's happening in, in the program is presented back to the member states, so to all uh, member states of the EU plus the cooperating state in the Kubernetes program. Carlo, I was, I was lucky enough to travel to Europe's spaceport at Karoo in French Guiana to see the, the launch of the very first Copernicus satellite, Sentinel-1. Really spectacular, so uh, really exciting uh, program of, of satellites and services. So, uh, Carla, you, you mentioned uh, C3S is implemented by ECMWF. Um, what's the mission of C3S and how does it connect with the rest of ECMWF's activities? Well, the main mission, as, uh, as I, I see it, is really to uh, make the uh, huge amount of data and climate information that exists accessible freely and openly to anyone. So this is part of our contribution to the transformation that our society needs to make in order to become greener, if you want to use a, an often abused expression. But in that transformation, we need to change the way in which, at, at, uh, in which we look at climate risk. And in that transformation, we require a lot of, of data, data about the past, uh, the present and the future climate. So the portfolio of C3S really covers all these aspects, going from the uh, historical observation, this being ground-based or satellite, um, through the reanalysis, which is the rerun of the weather prediction model that we use day in, day out to, to make weather prediction over the historical period, so that we can characterize the weather of any place of the planet from the 1940s till five days ago at hourly resolution, but also the seasonal prediction, what's going to happen in the next six months, or what might happen over the next five years or 10 years all the way through the climate projections. So these are the farthest away from the observation that typically look after from present to towards the, the end of the century. So all of this is put together uh, on the same platform, uh, looking after uh, the different format and facilitating really the interoperability of these data sources, and then provided in an operational fashion, because the Copernicus program is not a research program, builds upon uh, research program, but is very much an operational program. So all this is delivered uh, to to the many users we have all over the world. So that's the, the core uh, mission. That's what we do day in, day out. And this links very strongly to the core activities of ECNWF, because uh, the European Centre for Medium Range Weather Forecast was established in the 70s to tackle those problems that um, the single country could not tackle on their own, especially looking at the medium range forecast week two uh, and thereabout. So it became a, a center of excellence for, for weather prediction. And one of the key elements in that transformation uh, has been the ability to 
look at the observation, mostly satellite observation, and assimilate those observations into the weather prediction model. And that skill set, that expertise, the expertise required to do this big step forward in weather prediction, um, then become very relevant, directly relevant to the monitoring of, of the climate system. So uh, I was talking about the reanalysis, the rerun of the weather prediction model. Um, well, th th those reanalysis are at present uh, the key element of our portfolio, the most uh, uh, significant uh, data set in terms of uh, volume of user, volume of data download and number of users, accounting for more than 50% of our over 170,000 users registered in the system. I'm, I'm interested, Carlo, just, just to backtrack a, a little bit on the idea of a climate service. I, th I think this, this phrase, climate services, emerged relatively recently. Um, and of course, we're used to the idea of, of a national meteorological service providing a weather service. So we're used to perhaps understanding the term weather service. And I'm sort of wondering about what the distinction is between a weather service on the one hand and a climate service on the other. Is it is it just that it's really how far into the future we're trying to predict climate services is longer longer time range? Or are there other key distinctions that that differentiate a weather service and a climate service? That's a very, very interesting question and offers uh, several uh, points of reflection. I guess from a user point of view, there is really not such a distinction. It's a continuum. You look at the historical observation, you look at the weather prediction, and then you'll also put those in the context of a changing climate. Um, I guess it becomes, I mean, climate service, up to a certain extent, has existed throughout history. And, uh, we have been doing climate services for much more than the last 20 years. But within the last 20 years, climate service has become a societal necessity. And this came uh, for me after the realization that climate was changing and that human was were mostly responsible for a significant fraction of the changes that we were observing. So this, I mean, the, the, each one of us may, may have a slightly different definition on, on where that transformation took place, but certainly in, uh, around the, the turn of the century, I think that became um, a, a bit of a turning point. Until then, climate science was mostly that science uh, and was having some branch into application but quite marginal some specific sector maybe like energy or water related sector were a bit ahead of, of the game in using the, uh, the technology and the information coming from uh, from climate but since then i think we have seen a significant shift in the in the audience and an increase in the interest for for the information uh, the, from, for climate services. Um, and there are sector, I mean, if you look at finance, for instance, uh, finance, I think, is a, is a good example. Uh, at the turn of the century, uh, finance was not uh, very much interested in, in, uh, in climate information. And nowadays, especially in Europe, um, the, the bank sector, the banking sector, uh, is very active in engaging with uh, climate data, not just climate information in general, but really climate data, um, because there's been a shift in, uh, in regulation. There are some uh, necessity in terms of investment to uh, put alongside uh, any investment information about uh, the risk of that investment. And part of that risk is also the climate. Uh, component. So if you look at frameworks such as uh, the task force on climate related financial disclosure, then there are clear requirements in terms of uh, the disclosing 
the assumption and the risk of specific investment. So that's a, just an example. And similar example can be made for any other sector from agriculture to hydrology, from energy to transport. They are all becoming more uh, interested in analyzing their climate risk profile and how this may change over time. And now, if you, if, I think that's the, the, the bulk of the proposition. And interestingly, uh, while clearly, the, the, as you, you were uh, mentioning, Alan, the, the climate change timescale, so the projection timescale is probably one of the important distinctions. But any climate change uh, risk analysis starts from an analysis of the current risk. So analyzing, uh, starting from observation and reanalysis, analyzing the current level of risk is the starting point. And so we see that that's one of the key value added uh, that the service offers to the community of users. So, so re related to that, do you see, um, I mean, obviously C3S is providing a service to anybody and, and you've, you've discussed that. Do you see it being a kind of embedded in some meteorological services that they're actually using it as, as a tool for them to then deliver services themselves? Or is it really just, you know, direct C3S to to the user um, rather than to a, a, another meteorological service? Yeah, I think there's been um, a bit of an evolution in that respect. Um, when uh, I, I joined uh, C3S, I was responsible for a specific part of the program that is the sectoral information system. And the idea of that was really to bridge the gap with a specific sector and, and deliver information that was relevant to that sector. Um, but since then, I think we, we step back a bit because we really see the this, the value in in, uh, in um, intermediaries, so to speak, um, that are closer to the to the end users. And this being industries or public sectors, um, they take the information that and the data we make available, freely available, and, and in, in such a way that can be reused for any sort of application. Take that as a starting point, and then they add value, add value through a, a variety mm. of, of means. You know, add, add values by increasing the resolution or enriching with uh, additional data sources or uh, meshing up the climate information with information on socioeconomic or, or um, vulnerability or the like. But also uh, add value by transforming that, that data into something that is more directly relevant to the users that they, they uh, deal with. And that uh, last mile, that connection is really uh, where most of the value is being is being added, and that's more difficult to to uh, mainstream or to um, generalize. So a, a, a program such as Copernicus, I think, is is very well suited to uh, do the the work behind to ensure that the transformation from a, a more research academic environment into uh, operational product take place. But upon that platform, then many, many actors can build and deliver their value-added service. And that's the model we are following, uh, also very closely working with the national med services. And we have seen a shift in, in many med services from being um, a bit dubious about uh, C3S. And, 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 and for sure, Alan remembers the discussion with some of, of, of the member states were not necessarily all supportive of, of the effort. And I think in the space of a few years, this has changed because they have seen the, the value that a, a program such as C3S can offer also to them. So, Carlo, you obviously have a great passion for this. So when, when did you actually take up your role as director and, and what attracted you to the role? 
<laughs> well, interestingly, I was working at the Met Office at the Adley Center at that time, and I was working on, on climate services. So my, uh, my job was really to um, understand or define the question with the users, because that's, I think, uh, in this last mile is the most important element. Um, it's not uh, to go there with a the solution, but it's really to listen and understand what is the, their issue, what is their, their critical point, and then transform that, that issue into something that you, you can uh, deal uh, with in terms of climate data. So that was part of my, of my job, understanding the context, understanding the question from the user. And the other part of my job was then to reach out to, to find the data sources, uh, aggregate them, transform the different formats, uh, and generate um, a data set or indicators or a report that was uh, fit for purpose, that was answering or addressing the question. And in that process, this disparity of, of uh, data sources, of uh, format of uh, projections was part of, of, of the difficulty, was another layer of complexity. So when uh, C3S uh, uh, came about, um, I really felt it was a game changer because it was for the first time, there was uh, an international program devoted to simplify that interface uh, and transform that provision of data from something a bit of ad hoc and research-based into something coherent and, and operational uh, operationally built. Um, so that was extremely interesting from my point of view, and I, I, and I really felt that I needed to be part of it. That, that's um, why I decided to join, to join the, the program. You're listening to WeatherPod with Alan Thorpe and David Rogers. If I could, we've talked a little bit already about this, but um, I, I wanted to just pick up a bit more about the interactions of C3S with with actually the public, private, and academic sectors, um, we David and I often talk about the global weather enterprise as as this wonderful consortium between all three of those sectors. And um, C three S as a public sector organisation, as you've already hinted, has links to the to the academic sector um, in various ways, and and the private sector. Could you just say a little bit more about? how those links work? How, how do you actually interact with, uh, with those all type of organizations? Absolutely. So um, I guess, you know, um, the first point to stress is that, as I mentioned before, C3S is not a research project or program. Uh, it's really building upon research, but the goal is not to write uh, yet another paper. Obviously we do, and some of them are also highly cited, but it's not our goal. <laughs> Per, per se. Our goal is to uh, um, set up, uh, maintain, run, and eventually expand an operational service. So that, that's our read. But in order to maintain that cutting-edge nature of the program, then we need to link uh, with research. We need to be sure that what we do is based on good quality science and up-to-date research. So um, we always uh, have a very close link with a uh, um, national and international European program, research program, this being the Horizon Europe or Horizon 2020 before those at the European level, but also a national program uh, in the different member states. Um, we link with those either by being part, partner in this program, and uh, this is something uh, more recent because before we, we were not partner in, in this program, and more often than not being uh, in the advisory board or shaping some of the research goal to ensure that the next generation of, of project actually develops science in a direction that is relevant to the service. So that's the, the, the natural link with, uh, 
with uh, academia. But it's not just academia, it's really uh, this uh, uh, global, um, how do you call it, uh, global entrepreneurship or global, global weather enterprise. Global weather enterprise. Uh, in this global weather enterprise, uh, global climate weather uh, enterprise, the private sector is very important. And we engage with the private sector um, in, in several ways. Well, private and public sector doesn't necessarily be only private, but um, in this enterprise sector, let's say. So on, on the one hand, one aspect to stress is that the program as such is not just run by ECNWF. So uh, there is a, a core team of people within ECNWF uh, who uh, set up and run the program, but a significant fraction of the budget is actually given out in, in contract. So uh, the, the, the program itself is implemented by a partnership between ECNWF and, uh, and many, many institutions, research institutions, national med services, private sector uh, uh, enterprises, small and medium enterprises, and so on. So that's one uh, close link because it's also a link that allows us to um, really feel the pulse of what the market uh, is, uh, is working on and what the priority of the market uh, are. But the other element for me is the user, who the users of the information and tools that we put together are. And uh, um, there is no barrier, so the data, the data can be seen and accessed by anyone. Uh, we only ask a very light touch registration uh, to the users so that we have an idea of who the users are and where they are located. And looking at those statistics, we know that for some data set, the fraction of private sector users or public sector users, but non-academic user, is very significant. So if you look at, for instance, um, the seasonal predictions, then we have um, a great interest from the private sector in seasonal prediction. If you look at the sectoral indicators for energy or for, for health, for instance, again, there is a significant fraction of our user that uh, self-identify themselves as being um, from the private sector or from the public sector, but not academic. So people who are using the data uh, for business or to inform decision and policies rather than uh, to, to look at, um, to write the next paper, let's say. So, and, and for me, uh, that fraction is a fraction I always look when I get a, a weekly statistic of who this, of the different users. That's for me is, a, is a, almost a bet of honor. The fact that the fraction goes up, it means that what we are doing is relevant. And especially, I, I think that the private sector is particularly important because they wouldn't use our data if you, if you, if you weren't using it. So, if, if I could just follow up, that, that's interesting. To come back to what I was talking about earlier about the uh, distinction between a weather service and a climate service, it, it just struck me that, of course, in, in the case of weather services, um, there, is, there is a highly competitive market of providers of weather services, um, not only the National Meteorological Services, uh, but also many private sector companies that provide weather services to the, to the end user, so to speak. And it's it's a very, in a sense, it's a very competitive market. Um, so I'm I'm sort of wondering, trying now to draw the analogy to the to the climate services. Um, do you see the same thing happening with climate services? In in a sense, we've talked about C3S, but do you have competitors? Are there other um, climate services that that are going to come into the market and to, in a sense, compete with? With you, um, 
it's, it's, um, it's a very good answer. It's a very good question. And I think it, it, it has a, a complex answer because um, if you look back, there's been a lot of discussion about this emerging uh, climate service market. And as always looked like a slow starter. It's almost there, almost there, but never uh, takes off. I, I feel that things are changing much more rapidly over the last few years. Um, and this, the, I mean, uh, what I was referring to before for the financial sector, for me, is a, is a, is a good example. When you start involving um, this big player, then the market uh, almost develop overnight because there is a, really a requirement, there is a need. And so I, I think we are seeing that. Um, there is one element that makes an important distinction and is, uh, for me, the nature of, of the data. So one of the reasons the, the weather forecast uh, or the weather uh, market is so dynamic is also because there is a, a product that is constantly updated and is the weather forecast. So uh, the, the, that space um, is, is incredibly competitive and is easy to, well, relatively easy to verify. You can say my model is better than your model or my system is better than your system and these are the scores or, or, or you can calculate this for yourself. When you get into, into um, climate, then the assessment of the value becomes more challenging and this uh, constant update cycle that we have in weather forecast is less um, less stringent. So, um, you know, if you look at the climate projections uh, up until now, at least, they've been mostly updated uh, in accordance to the IPCC, uh, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change cycle. So seven years cycle or, or thereabouts, so quite slow. And until you get the next uh, generation of projection, the, the picture doesn't change that dramatically, meaning that that market is a bit slower. Um, and if you look at the historical data, that's, uh, that's also uh, partly true. Once you have a solid understanding of your baseline risk, the fact that you, you have an extra few points or an extra few years or a slightly higher resolution, yeah, okay, may, may be a differentiator, but it's not that much of a differentiator. So for me, there are two areas where the market is, is developing now that are interesting. One is this uh, um, recent bust. Um, so uh, I was uh, mentioning the, the analysis running up to uh, five days ago. That's very close to present. And having a global vision of what the weather was five days ago and possibly even less, you know, there is not technical uh, uh, reason. There are some operational reasons, but there are not technical reasons why that couldn't be brought to two days ago or even uh, a day ago. That's actually is, is, is important because if you have an, an up-to-date snapshot of the status of the atmosphere and the ocean, um, very recent one, then you can initialize your impact model. You can in initialize your uh, agricultural productivity model, your hydrological model, your coastal um, uh, quality, water quality model, and so on and so forth. So that's a, a space of competitiveness. And, and not only at the global level, but also at the uh, regional and local level because uh, our global model at the moment is running at 30 kilometers. We are pushing it to, to lower that resolution or to increase the resolution to something between 10 and 20. Um, but still, for many impact assessments, then you want higher resolution. And there are a plethora of ways in which you can go from 20 kilometers to 500 meters. Um, and so that, that's, that's an, a competitive space. The other element is on the other side of present. So this was near past. I think the other element is uh, near future. So not the weather prediction because that's our, of our remit, but uh, sub-seasonal and then seasonal prediction. Uh, that's another space where you can make predictions. They are very viable and there is a growing interest 
from uh, the users, so non-research users. Um, and the fact that uh, the seasonal predictions are often the single data set in our catalog, which has the highest fraction of private sector user, I think is a, is a testimony of that interest. And you know, the energy market in Europe this winter was very interested in the seasonal prediction, understanding whether you know the gas uh, demand was going to increase or not, also for uh, political reason or geopolitical reason. So that, that Sorry, kind of information. Yeah. So so the, you're giving the impression. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that the market is actually ripe for the private sector to to enter, to to provide specific, um, tailored or specific services, um, in addition to to what's produced by C three S. Yeah, yeah, and, and in some cases we are very aware of, of this uh, existing already, and uh, um, every time we, we find uh, a new one of these actors we happily invite them to our general assembly and engage with them to ensure that what we are doing is fit for purpose that they are happy with our product or if they have suggestion um, we're happy to listen to their suggestions so that we can improve our product um and uh, you know um the um, i i know i made many references today to energy sector but uh, so uh, let me allow to make another one uh, but if you look at the uh, wind resources and uh, um, there is a these are the sector of uh, renewable energy and in particular wind is a heavy user of our data for uh, and there are commercial enterprises operating in that space for siting of new wind farm for instance you want to to have uh, to find the best possible location to have a, a good return on investment and the international renewable energy agency um, that is based in don uh, has actually used our data to make a very nice um, calculation of where it would be best to install wind and solar farm in Africa to maximize uh, the production and so to meet the uh, growing need for energy of, of the continent. And in doing that, they, I think that's a very nice example of how the meteorological, climate, climatological information can be mashed up with other sources of data about socioeconomic, about infrastructure, uh, because that calculation, so finding out what are the optical, optimal lo locations is not just uh, uh, driven by weather, or by climate is driven by existing infrastructure access to uh, or distance to villages and, and cities and so on and so forth um, that's so the lot, kind of yeah so it's a lot it's a lot less <clears throat> sort of competition with you as a provider of a service it's more of your enabler of a very um, vibrant competitive market for sort of downstream of you and, and maybe that's a distinction between what we see at the weather scale where there's in a way somewhat unnecessary competition at times um, for the same product as opposed to developing new products and services um, downstream of, of uh, the provider I mean we we hear often you know somebody wants to do better, a better job than ECMWF in the on the weather dimensions and claim to do so and that seems always a bit um, um, bogus to say the least um, but in this case there's less of this idea of competing with you you're providing freely available data you're, you're freely providing freely data that is enabling a lot of downstream products to be developed and, and utilized as you've described yeah I think there are some differences but there are also some analogies because also in the weather 
yeah, I, I know uh, of some of the claims about competition of the global producing center, but in a sense, you can imagine the big center producing global forecast as being enabled enabler of the downstream market. Mm -hmm. So a lot of, of the private sector um, uh, operators and enterprises operating in the weather uh, world actually uh, do their job starting from uh, information coming from uh, one or more of the uh, global producing center of, uh, of, of weather predictions. So in that sense, I think that there is a similarity because uh, similar to that, the uh, also for the climate uh, change uh, service or for the climate change uh, proposition, there are there is a need for an investment in the generation of the information uh, as a starting point, and over that initial proposition, then private or pu public sector enterprises can build their their solution. I guess in that context, it's worth it's worth noting that I mean one of your as you say one of your key data. As uh, provide provision, data sources, if you like, data data sets, is the era five reanalysis, and that is, I mean, <clears throat> that's a really expensive thing to generate uh, and to produce, and and it's um, it's great that a public sector organisation like ECMWF creates that um, that data set from which a lot of things can be developed, a lot of services and products. But it will be very difficult, for example, for a private sector company to, to get in the business of producing a better reanalysis because it is such a, a major, major computational and expensive task in and of itself. Uh, would, you, would you agree with that, Carlo? Yeah, I, I, would, I would completely. I think um, it goes exactly in the direction uh, I, I was mentioning. There is a need for that initial investment, in this case, from uh, uh, often from a public sector organization such as the CNWF, to generate that data set. Uh, that data set requires um, typically a couple of years of integration on our supercomputer. Um, so it's a, it's a very significant investment and probably an investment that many private sector companies wouldn't be prepared to do it upfront. Uh, um, and it also builds upon, it's not just the investment of running the system, it's also the investment over the years of generating a model that is able to reproduce uh, the weather globally to a high level of accuracy and maintain the data simulation system. So there is a lot of uh, background IPR, if you want, uh, in, in that model. It's not just uh, the integration or the supercomputer uh, time that matters there. You're listening to WeatherPod with Alan Thorpe and David Rogers. Uh, that leads quite nicely to the, to the next uh, question. As you, as you know, Carlo, uh, much of our interest on the WeatherPod, uh, which is supported by the World Bank, is how advances in science and technology can help low- and middle-income countries deal with the impacts of weather and climate change on business and society. And I'm really curious to know how uh, we basically can use C3S uh, outside of Europe and how it could be used more effectively by development partners such as uh, the World Bank. Yeah, and, and that's a very, a very, a very good, uh, uh, good question. And uh, in a sense, the first point to stress is that even now, C3S is used widely, not just in Europe. So if you look at the statistic, and they are available on the website, if you're interested, there is a, a live page, uh, you have to follow the live link, um, that uh, give, uh, gets you to a page where there are information about where the users are and what is the current uh, data download volume. And if you look at that page, you realize that Europe is often one of the, of the region 
that has the highest number of users or the highest download, but it's not the only one and it's not always the, the top one. Southeast Asia is a, another region that is very uh, heavily represented in our, uh, in our uh, ranking, as it is uh, uh, North America and some part of Africa. So in a sense, we are already reaching out and South America. Uh, we are reaching out to communities well beyond, uh, well beyond Europe. Um, I like to think that there is an intrinsic advantage for um, countries you know, in the global south in, in, in the proposition of, of C3S, because um, um, one of the limiting factor has often been the bandwidth uh, to access the data. So um, Alan was mentioning uh, the reanalysis. So era five at, at, present, um, at present is around 10 petabyte of data. So that's a huge amount of data. It's a phenomenal amount of data. Um, it's a, a billion, a million, a billion, uh, ten to the fifteen uh, byte. Or if you like music, uh, if you were an MP3, it would be an MP3 running from the end of the last uh, ice age, thereabouts. So um, very large <laughs> amount of data. Right? And if you if you are interested in in, uh, in knowing what was the maximum wind in your little island uh, in the middle of the ocean then uh, in the absence of a better uh, way of handling that information, you would need to, to take all that amount of data, extracting the U and the V components, so east, west, north, south component of the wind, do the, the, the sum of the square, and then do, take a square root of it to get the wind speed. That's um, a, a lot of operation for something that is actually quite small. So the result you need at the end is really quite small. So if we can create, as we did, and uh, an infrastructure that does all that manipulation close to the, where the data sits, then you can retrieve your uh, information uh, as a wind speed in your little island directly. Um, and that requires a much smaller bandwidth. So the fact that you are in a developed nation with a fiber optics or uh, in the middle of a desert uh, with a, a, a flaky internet connection, doesn't uh, prevent you from accessing that information. So I think that's a, a natural intrinsic mm -hmm. advantage of the, of the approach. That, that stimulates yet another idea in my mind about the distinction between weather and climate services. I mean, um, it, it, it would be wrong to say that it's only ECMWF that has created a reanalysis data set, for example. Um, and there are, you know, several, not not many, but there are several reanalysis data sets that are, are primed for um, the sort of climate change service products that you're, you've been talking about. Um, and of course, as we also know, there's a lot of interest from the artificial intelligence machine learning community that that kind of data set is also important, could be important for new ways to predict the weather, never mind climate. So it, it strikes me again that that um, we need to think a little bit about the international collective effort in producing these huge data sets like reanalysis and try to avoid, if you like, needless duplication um, where obviously you need to be a significant size player to get into this game. But nonetheless, do we need 50 different reanalyses, global reanalyses to drive these kinds of services and you can make the same comment about weather forecasting of course as well so it, it's just something maybe not a question just a reflection from me but I hope that internationally we can come together to 
maximise the use collectively of the computational resource that's there. And this can be quite difficult because there is national pride. There is, you know, governments want to see their own country taking a leading role. So it, it's quite a difficult and complex organisational political question. I, I don't know if you have any reflections on that, but just strikes me from what you've been saying as something we need to think about in the future. No, I think I think you're you're absolutely right. Um, we need to look into uh, all ways we, we can to avoid duplication, um, knowing that it might be possibly impossible to avoid it completely, uh, but maybe finding a level at which that multiplicity of actors actually adds value. Because I mean, comparing our analysis with the analysis coming from Japan or North America, for instance, actually can be quite useful. It can be a way of understanding uh, the limitation of different approaches, exploring different approaches in the first place uh, and learning the process. So um, maybe the solution is not necessarily just one global reanalysis, but close coordination of efforts on, on reanalysis. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about reanalysis, but the same argument can be made in, 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 other, in other areas as well, is maintaining that uh, um, visibility and, and coordination and cooperation with other uh, uh, entities. And I think that there has been a lot of development there. There's certainly a lot of communication uh, on, on reanalysis. We had a, a conference on, on, uh, and it, now coming next year, the ECNWF uh, seminar series will be focusing on reanalysis. So these are opportunities to build those linkages and to ensure that uh, that coordination exists and we are working in the same direction. The other point you make, and I think this open another reflection, and I think it's a very interesting one, is this um, new role that artificial intelligence and machine learning is playing. So um, this is something that I think we should uh, uh, be looking into much more carefully than we had over the last few years, because it can be a significant game changer. And it's not uh, obvious that we are already building um, era six and looking uh, into plan for era seven. But at some point, um, as we have done for, for weather, weather prediction, I think it would be important to, to see um, what, which part of, of the of the equation, which part of the of the system can actually uh, be uh, changed or, or adapted to take advantage of the development in, in machine learning? Because in in some part, as um, in in the uh, predictive transfer, for instance, uh, uh, that's the part of the code that deals with the radiation coming from the sun and and, and reemerging from from the uh, from the atmosphere and the ocean and the land surface. That part of the code is already one area where application of machine learning are being exploited. Um, and there might be many others. The entire approach of analysis may change of, of, uh, in the future. So I think we need to keep our eyes open and be uh, very ready, very prepared to, to change the approach uh, uh, when required. You're listening to WeatherPod with Alan Thorpe and David Rogers. Carlo. At the moment, there is considerable interest in general in the impacts of uh, climate change. And, and right now, there's a growing interest in what to do about the increasing risk of heat waves. And I'd like, perhaps it'll help our audience to understand how the service can be used if we look at a very specific example. I mean, how are we, how are we using C3S as a service that will help support our understanding of uh, particularly urban urban heat waves. I mean, what what what's how is how is the system used? How is the service used? Okay, so let me divide the answer into two parts. One part is about the data set we have, and the other is uh, in the direction of application or solution. 
to address a specific problem. So if we start for, from the data set, then the portfolio of C3S is really structured um, on a logical uh, time structure. So you have observation of the past. So some of those goes back to the um, late 19th century. And the, the effort there is trying to, to make all these observation, um, surface observation, ocean observation, uh, over land and, and so on, available to everyone. Um, but also reprocess and, and transform the information that comes from satellite into something that can be used. And to do that, we use the concept of essential climate variables. This is a concept of the uh, GCOS, the Global Climate Observing System. And there's a list of 54 variables describing the climate system. Uh, and of these 54, we have 22 for which we have a climate data record. So some of these climate data records may be directly relevant to the, to the heat waves, such as uh, humidity or uh, surface temperature or, or the like. Then we have the reanalysis. We discussed about the reanalysis in this spot today. So this reconstruction of the past weather. And this is essential, for instance, if you want to analyze the risk of, of heat waves, because it gives you um, a description on any place of the planet of the weather of the past. So if you want to see, for instance, in a specific location, what is the, uh, the percentage of time that that location is above a certain temperature threshold, or whether this um, frequency has changed over time, then you want to have this homogeneous time series as much as possible, extending as far back in time as possible. Then if, if you move next, uh, then I guess what you are interested for heat wave is to understand whether the risk in this specific year is higher or usual than, than the, or higher or lower than usual. And in that sense, using the seasonal prediction, which are part of the portfolio, is also uh, could be very useful. You know, you know that, for instance, in El Nino year, and we are very likely to see one within the next uh, uh, 12 to 24 months. In El Nino year, temp global temperature are higher, and some region of the world see a higher risk of heat wave as a consequence of that. So having that information beforehand can allow us to prepare better and, and respond with uh, action on the ground. And then finally, uh, the climate projection, which are also part of, of the portfolio, uh, both the global projection and the regional projection allow you, uh, allow us, allow any user to really see how that risk in the, in the case of the, of the heat wave may evolve over time. So for instance, um, we have data set looking at um, the changes in uh, heat wave risk in the projection over Europe, in this case, city by city, where you can um, see how much more frequent a certain uh, kind of heat wave may become. So this is about the data set. Uh, alongside the data set in the proposition of C3S, there is also this concept of applications. So um, there is a, a certain amount of cloud computing that is uh, available for free for people to use. And this cloud computing, compute, um, computing layer is used to really transform the data into something that is more meaningful. So it's not just uh, um, having a data set that is uh, archived and, and can be interrogated, but maybe generating an index or generating a, a, a variable that is of interest of a specific community. So um, it's possible to write a small script to generate that index on the fly, index on the fly and generate the output. And there are some applications that have been designed already by us for the user to, to use. Some of these applications go exactly in the direction of, of heat wave. So there are specific applications, again, mostly focusing on Europe, but just for, for uh, because of the geographical scope of the program, but can be extended um, easily to other parts of the globe. 
looking at how specific risk evolve over time and generate maps or XY plots or, or something else altogether. So this is a, in, a, in a nutshell, <laughs> um, some of the ways in which the uh, heat wave risk can be seen through the lens of, of the program. Hmm. Thank, thank you. Great. Well, I think we've um, we've probably come to the end of our, our discussion today. And Carlo, it just remains for me to thank you very much for joining us on the weather pod and sharing your, your considerable insights into um, climate services and in particular the Copernicus Climate Change Service. I think it's become clear to a lot of people that it's a very valuable resource um, worldwide and I, I hope that uh, it will continue to be as, as successful as it has been recently. And I, I hope that uh, those in our audience who didn't know um, much about the Copernicus program now have a better idea of its value, and particularly through C3S uh, to decision makers, you know, coping with climate change. Um, also, I just note that when we um, put this on our website, that we'll provide additional links to online material uh, so that people who aren't aren't exactly sure where to go for for this week will actually have really some direct links to the most the key parts of the of the uh, service. And thank you again, Carlo, for joining us today. Well, thank you both. Thank you, Alan and, and David, for this uh, lovely conversation. And uh, uh, the good thing of Copernicus is that it also has a very simple URL, which is climate.copernicus.eu. So if you uh, don't find your link in, in the uh, weather pod uh, or you struggle to find it, you can always follow this link. Thank you very much. Well, that concludes this episode of the weather pod. We hope you've enjoyed it. Alan and I will be back next month. And in the meantime, please give us your feedback via email to support at gweforum.org. <laughs>